Welcome to the Slam Radio Podcast, featuring Front Page 305. Of course, uh, we're playing that because it's Tua time, baby. Tua's from Hawaii. Tua. And uh, we're five days away from uh, his first NFL start. And because that's the case, we have a special <laughs> guest uh, joining us today who's seen him play a bunch in, in person, and, and we want to get his perspective. So without further ado, let's go right to it. Let's uh, join our, uh, welcome rather, our first guest, Connor O'Gara, who writes for a great website, SaturdayDownSouth.com. Connor, welcome to the front page. Gentlemen, uh, it's good to good to be with you. Good to be talking about Tua starting. I, I don't I didn't think necessarily that, that was a guarantee in 2020, but here we are. Yeah, so take us back, Connor. You were there. Was that his his first game or his first start? I'm always interested in the the original, the sort of the origins, and what were your first impressions when he when he first hit the seam at, at Alabama. So I covered that game that he started against Louisville to open the year in 2018. And everybody knows what had happened before that, where he had second and 26, the walk-off winner in the national championship against Georgia. And the big off-season storyline, of course, was who's going to start? Is it Tua? Is it Jalen? And this kind of mystery surrounding the program, because people forget Jalen Hurts, SEC Offensive Player of the Year in 2016, and there was still this secrecy even heading into the opener, and you didn't officially know until Tua came out there. And what you saw that night was, this kid is special. And you see the plays that he makes where, you know, the, the scramble that he had where he finds Jerry Judy in the corner of the end zone that day where I, I, from our vantage point in the press box, you see how many guys he's able to escape and what he's able to do. That's the type of stuff where you just kind of sit back and realize you're watching something different. And I, I came away from that day thinking, man, I, I'm going to tell my grandkids one day that I saw this kid's first career college start. And, you know, he had his troubles with being able to stay healthy. And there were a couple of times where you wondered if he really had it against some of these elite defenses. But at the same time, I was a believer that when the Miami Dolphins had that pick that, they would have been fools not to take Tua, uh, and I was glad to see that you know this this Justin Herbert stuff that there was you know rumored to be right before the start of the draft didn't necessarily come to fruition. I'm excited to see Tua. Uh, I want to see Tua uh, healthy, and I think this is such an encouraging thing for Dolphins fans. Well, Connor, I'm, I'm looking at like games every week, and I'm seeing Kyler Murray fit that same kind of quarterback that you're saying that, that you're talking about, Russell Wilson, obviously. Do you see Tua kind of, I mean, he could be the lefty version of these types of quarterbacks, like another guy that can be that franchise leading quarterback, you know, going forward. I mean, we're going to only see glimpses of it. It's only his going to be his first start, first season, that sort of thing. But down the road, he fits into, it seems like he fits into that type of quarterback, which is now turning into that game changer, you know, type of versatile guy that can do do a little bit of everything, both with his arm and his legs. I've always made the comp of Steve Young for him. I've been saying Steve Young ever since 2018, and I, I suppose you know the lefty thing has something to do with it. But he's the guy that will, you know, I think what Kyler does differently is I think Kyler will pick up yards with his legs, and that's what he he can do and take over a game with that. But I don't necessarily know that Tua is going to want to add that, given his injury history with you know the lower body. I, I think that. What he's able to provide for you as a guy that throws a deep ball at such an extraordinary level. I mean, it looks like it, it, it floats down from the heavens when he throws this ball, especially on the sideline. And to me, that that's what makes him unique. Now, he became a more complete quarterback in 2019 with Steve Sarkeesian when Steve Sarkeesian walked in and said, look, I've seen what you can do on film. That's all well and good. 
but you struggled against elite defenses because you always wanted to take the home run shot. And what he did so well in 2019 before he got hurt was being able to recognize, look, I've got signal coverage on the outside with Henry Ruggs. That's a mismatch all day. I need to be able to recognize when I have that in the slant, and that can be my home run play. So I think Tua has recognized how to become a complete quarterback. It's just being able to stay healthy at this point. I think that's the big thing because you don't question whether or not he has it between the years. I think that he has a chance to be a quarterback that's kind of in his own mold. I really believe that. Young is the comp that I make. But I think he has a chance to do some different things and, and to be really exciting out of the gate. Hey, Connor, we can get back to Tua in a second, but I, I would be remiss uh, if I didn't ask you, since you cover the SEC, uh, about Alabama. And I was reading something, Connor, that they were calling Alabama wide receiver you. And I was, I said, yeah, that's true, but you might as well call him South Florida you, right? Because uh, Amari Cooper, the, the great wide receivers they have, Amari Cooper, Calvin Ridley, Jerry Judy, all South Florida kids. And then, of course, uh, Henry Ruggs and Julio Jones are, are not from here. But a big part of that has been you know, the, uh, the South Florida kids that they've been able to get. And then along with that, I wanted to, you can comment on that, uh, Connor, and also uh, the Waddle injury, um, devastating. Uh, what I read some comments on Saturday Night on South uh, from David Pollack saying that really could knock Alabama out of the title game or title game contention. So if you could tackle those two for us. Yeah, the South Florida thing you mentioned with the receivers, it's interesting. Andy Staples wrote a great piece about – that Miami offense and why why the Hurricanes were not able to get those big time playmakers and why they lost so many guys that you know when Miami is at its peak they usually don't lose those South Florida guys and because the offense that they were playing and you look at the offensive revolution that's gone on at Alabama and their willingness to be able to adapt to that and when Lane Kiffin came along they all of a sudden these guys took off and Amari Cooper sticking it out and staying with Lane Kiffin, even though he wasn't necessarily recruited to play in his offense, that, that I think made a, a big difference. But, you know, the Waddle thing, it's a bummer. It, it, there are very few guys I've seen in college football in recent memory who can do the things that he can do. I don't know if I've ever seen a guy at the college level who is better at slipping through the second level the way that Jalen Waddle does. It is so extraordinary to watch him with the ball in his hands. There's not a better player in all college football football with the ball in his hands than Jalen Waddle. I think it limits Alabama's upside to a certain extent. Against a team like Clemson or Ohio State, it's going to be more difficult to score touchdowns and to be able to look at you know how you're able to sustain drives. There's going to be plays later on in the year where maybe it's John Mechie or Slade Bolden who is taking Jalen Waddle's place, where they catch a ball in the middle of the field and you're going to say afterwards, Jalen Waddle takes that to the house, and these guys don't. Now, I think Alabama's offense and what it has going right now with Mac Jones and Steve Sarkeesian is extraordinary. And anybody that thinks the Alabama offense is going to all of a sudden slow down or come to a halt without Jalen Waddle, they got another thing coming, in my opinion. But it is going to be interesting to see how much more difficult is life for Alabama's offense in those big-time games because I think they're going to breeze through the SEC. And I think what we saw against Georgia was just a sign that this Alabama offense is playing at such a different level and it might actually be even slightly better than they were with Tua, which just sounds like a crazy thing to think about given what we thought we knew about this team coming into this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I, looking at their schedule, I think they've probably cleared the biggest obstacle of the regular season with Georgia. You get them at least possibly to the title game now and then from there. But you're right, in those big games, you, you want that game breaker. But, uh, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, going back to Tua, 
just what uh, Dolphins fans can expect in this first game because you know he's being he's being given two weeks to prepare uh, in terms of the you know first team reps that sort of thing to really know that he's going in but this is going to be a tough defense he's going to go against you know with the Rams with Aaron Donald they're going to put a lot of pressure on him but like you talked about just the mental you know the maturity that he's always had how much that's going to help in a moment like this where it's his first step in his career my big question with Tua is what does what does he look like mentally does he look like a guy who is truly playing in his first game of live action or well starting in his first, you know, his first start since Mississippi state when he suffers that very severe hip injury. And we're all of a sudden like, man, is, is he going to come back and be the same sort of player when you don't have this preseason, you don't necessarily get to answer those same exact questions. And I think it is still different when you dial it up in the regular season and you're the guy and you're building the offense around you and you're the guy from the jump. You, you have those moments to be able to mentally prepare for that. I'm interested to see kind of where he's at. Is he going to trust his offensive line? Is he going to be willing to roll out of the pocket and make some of those, those same throws that made him special, in my opinion? That's the big question that he, answer, that he has to answer because I think physically the arm talent is going to be, it's going to be very evident. And I know that there are some positive moments, obviously, this year with Ryan Fitzpatrick, but I think some of the things that he's able to provide for you are, are just special. And I think he's going to elevate that group of receivers from the jump. It'll be interesting to see what kind of game plan they dial up for him. Will they be exposing him to hits? Are they going to allow him to take some of those big, deep dropbacks and have these slow-developing plays? Is it going to be more quick hitter, get the ball out of his hands? You don't want him taking those big hits, get his confidence up early. I, I'd expect to see more of that just to get him into a rhythm, and then who knows what they could do in the second half. But I, I think the physical ability, especially with the arm, is going to be there. It's just going to be interesting to see how kind of all those other elements are factored in. By the way, Connor, uh, two, two quick things. One was on, on the Waddle injury. I saw on Saturday down south that um, they had uh, a little st a story about Nick Saban and his comments, I guess, at halftime regarding the Waddle injury. And he says he hated that it happened on the kickoff that he probably shouldn't have run it out. And I guess there was some controversy about that. I didn't really have a problem with Nick. I know exactly what Nick Saban was trying to get out. Like he's still a coach and doesn't think he should have run that out. Didn't mean he wasn't concerned about the kid. What, just quickly, what do you think about that? Yeah, I know for a fact that Nick Saban is absolutely concerned. And that anybody that has this narrative that Saban doesn't care about his players, I mean, that's ridiculous. I, I, I think he was, he was gutted. I, I thought the timing of it was kind of weird. You usually don't see – a coach announced that a player's out for the year at the halftime interview. Right. I mean, that, that was, that was definitely strange. And maybe that kind of caught him off guard a little bit. He's still in the heat of the moment in a game where he's trying to just talk about winning, winning a game. And he looks at the end result in, in that situation. But if anybody is saying, Hey, Nick Saban, you know, what a jerk for saying that about a kid who just suffered a serious injury. I, I think they're looking way too far into it. I know for a fact that he was very, very torn up about that. Jalen Waddell is not a typical Alabama player, and not just because of the things he can do on the football field. He's somebody that Nick Saban has really praised for the way that he has grown in the last three years. So, yeah, I, I don't think there was anything to it more than that. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you. And, and kind of to wrap up this segment here, and I want to go to Andre on this, and, and then back to you, Connor, just your thoughts. I, I happen to catch a pretty interesting conversation on ESPN, Rex Ryan, of course, Andre knows one of my favorite coaches. I just like how he always speaks his mind and had a bunch of guys on there talking about just the timing. And we talked to Connor a little bit about this on our show last week about the timing of taking Fitzpatrick out 
after, you know, two wins in a row. It was a little bit odd timing. I understand the, um, you know, the bye week, and that was probably entered into the thinking. But Rex Ryan really, he, he really let loose on Fitzpatrick. And he said, you know, the guy's been in the 60, he's been in the league 16 years, never been to the playoffs. Uh, and, and he also said on the other side, Tua is the most accurate college football quarterback he's ever seen. So really strong comments. So I guess just to, to wrap up this segment, and Connor, you've been outstanding. Andre, go to you first, and then Connor. What do you think about now a week having to think about it, the timing and, you know, the harsh feelings that Fitzpatrick, I think, understandably had uh, losing his job after two, two wins? Where, where are you at on that? Well, I mean, I, I guess I was wrong. They did piss off Fitz. Remember, we talked about that last week that I thought, you know, Fitz had been such a supporter of, of Tua's. I'm not saying he's not. He continues to be. But I, I also saw an interesting conversation on Sunday morning during the NFL Network's pregame show, Kurt Warner talking about when he was benched in favor of Eli Manning. And they were winning that year, too. They were actually, I, I, I believe, they, I don't remember what the record he said was exactly after six weeks, but they were on course looking like a playoff team even. You know, and he understood he, you know, it sucked. He felt a lot like Fitz, but he understood the fact that the franchise was thinking we've got to get this guy in at this time in order for when the organ, we don't want him to be coming out of the cold when the team is in playoff shape everywhere else and have that as a setback, have your leader there. So the Dolphins are kind of like in that in-between right now where they're better, but maybe they're not quite yet a playoff team, you know, definitely not a Super Bowl contender yet. They want to have two on the same timetable is what Warner was talking about. And that's why I think in this case, it makes sense. I mean, when you look at it realistically, this team is still, you know, if you look at them, probably at best, maybe a 500 team, not quite at that level yet, but you want to have two exactly where you want him to be, you know, with more experience, more reps, not just come in out of the cold next year when you really are probably thinking we're have a better shot at it. Connor, we're up against a break. Go put a bow on this uh, in the next uh, 60 seconds if you can. You look at the, the way that the NFL works now. These guys get in year one, and that, that, that's, that's just the way that it works with these top 15 picks. I mean, six top 15 quarterbacks in, in the last two drafts, and all of them are year one starters, two of being the, the last one. And, and that's just kind of the way that this works now. There's so much riding on that. And if you feel like, hey, you know, if we if we can really get, get that guy reps early on, maybe it doesn't necessarily, you know, have to be factored into whether or not we make the playoffs. It's we're going to try and, and build this guy up in a way that, you know, is, is a little bit more in the flow of the season. We like a lot of the other elements that have that are surrounding him, and we feel like this is a good opportunity. He could step into a good situation. I think that's more what it's about now, and just wanting to see, hey, if we're if we, you know, when you pick a quarterback that high, it's a franchise-changing move. And I think that they just wanted to be like, hey, we know that Ryan Fitzpatrick is not the future. We know that this guy is it, and we feel like there are enough good elements around him to where he can succeed in this environment. And regardless of the fact that, you know, it wasn't like Fitzpatrick played terribly and played his way out of a job, but I think that those factors just come into it. And now Miami is entering in a very new era and a very exciting one, I think, for that fan base. All right, Connor, you were outstanding, dude. You're welcome in the 305. Anytime we'll have some cafe, Bustelo, Cuban coffee, whatever you need down here, man. You're, uh, you're great. So thanks for joining us. Sounds good. And, Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, man. And right after this, we're going to be talking about the World Series right after these messages. A radio. Radio. This is Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. 
This is Jorge Gamebred Masvidal, and you're listening to Slam Radio. And now we're back with Front Page 305 on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. I love L.A. What's not the love? They got, first of all, sunshine, movie stars, L.A. Lakers, NBA champions, and now the Dodgers on the precipice of winning their first World Series, I believe, in 32 years, Andre. Since, it's been a since long time. Kirk Gibson was fist pumping around the bases. Indeed. And, indeed. and the, break, so, the brake lights in the Dodger Stadium parking lot. It's been a long time. They've had the talent to win before. <clears throat> a little bit of a choke artist because they've had massive amount of talent over the years, especially this, this last little run here. And now they're on the precipice. And Andre, of course, you're our baseball expert. I want you to break out, break down the game tonight. I mean, before I hand it over to you, I just want to say Cy Young winner, recent vintage, uh, Blake Snell is going mm. for Tampa Bay. That should give them a huge advantage in pissing, pitching. I, I imagine the Dodgers are going to go a little bullpenny and, um, and, and, and try to piece it together to win tonight. How do you break it down, Dre? Bullpenny. I like that, I like that word pretty much uh, to describe what they're going to do. Uh... Yeah. yeah, and also I, I, I was I was uh, I wanted to mention, of course, last week I called you Nostradamus a lot. I just want to give you that that uh, little plug again that you predicted before the playoffs uh, began. You predicted Dodgers over Rays in the World Series, so you're you're within one one win away from nailing that exactly. Too bad you didn't go to Vegas and put some uh, some money on that. Yeah, I was told by our former colleague that uh, this was a, that was the boring pick to make, and I'm like, well, I call boring accurate. But, uh, but, you know, and, and, I, and, and you saw when I'm occasionally, occasionally, on occasion wrong, like, like with Fitzpatrick, I fess up and I said, there you go. I was wrong. He was upset. Um, but sticking to the baseball topic here, an interesting article about um, from MLB.com today did like a top 10 most memorable game sixes. And I don't know if you remember a lot of game sixes in the World Series. Of course, down here, we always remember Josh Beckett shutting out the Yankees or tagging out Posada. Wait, wait a second. Wouldn't it be Buckner through his legs? Buckner's one of them. Yep. The Mets game that was in there. I, I think that was ranked number two, actually. The, mm-hmm. the top one was that crazy game a few years ago where the Cardinals rallied to beat the Rangers with David Freeze hitting the home run, the walk-off, and then the Cardinals ended up winning the series. But what I thought was interesting was a lot of these memorable games that then the team that wins game six doesn't end up winning at all. In fact, even – is a dud in game seven, like something terrible. There was a great Brooklyn Dodgers Yankee series that went to 10 innings and the Dodgers won. And then the Yankees just crushed them in game seven, completely wiped it off. We know the Carlton Fisk one where he's waving it fair. And that didn't end the Red Sox curse. The next day, the Reds won anyway. That's a great point. I think that can happen in this series because I think tonight to come back to it, where you're talking about breaking down game six, I think Snellzilla has a big chance of evening this thing because he is the better matchup in terms of pitching tonight. Gonsolin, the young kid for the Dodgers, has not pitched very well. In fact, you said bullpenning. I wouldn't be surprised if they go inning by inning with him. If if the second he gets into trouble, Dave Roberts yanks him and starts putting in some relievers. But I could see – it's going to be interesting because I could see the Dodgers turning around and maybe winning it in seven, even though they have to face Charlie Morton. But this lineup has just been so dangerous and so good at getting a run or two runs every first inning of every game. That if they do that again tonight, they, they need to do that again tonight to give their own pitching staff some, you know, some support there at the beginning because Snell, to me, really is the advantage going into this game six. And that's why the Rays have been successful throughout the, the postseason is the way they can just line that pitching up. And I thought in this series, going into the first three, 
when you looked at Glasnow, Snell, and Morton, I'm really surprised and give the Dodgers a lot of credit that they were able to still take the advantage early in the series. Snellzilla, was that yours or you got that from somewhere? No, I've heard that. That's a nickname they uh, that that's a nickname they gave. In fact, they the nickname you came up with is in danger. They're 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 gonna ruin your title bay t-shirts that you yes. were planning to sell. Yes, yes. If they win this thing. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Saturday night's game. That was uh game four, right? That was incredible. Mm. Uh that night I was watching, of course, the Hurricanes struggle to beat Virginia. And we're going to have on, by the way, uh, as you mentioned, our former colleague, still our good friend, Manny Navarro, who uh, uh, after he gave up this show, I, I can't help but have him on every week if I can to give us 15 minutes. So he's going to come on. He's from The Athletic. And we're going to talk Hurricanes football and David Ferronis, the Fury from the Sun Sentinel. So we're going to have a little bit of roundtable. Yeah. The four of us can break down the Canes. Um, but so anyway, so I was watching uh, – the, the Hurricanes and struggled to beat Virginia. When that finished, I turned to the World Series, and my God, was I rewarded. What a finish that was. Tim Kirchin said, get this, Andre, he says he's seen every World Series game for 41 years, and he's yeah. never seen a finish as crazy as that. And yeah. the guy who had the, the hit that, that led to all the craziness, Randy Phillips, had had just two at-bats in the postseason. I mean – yeah. What do you, what do you think of that? He's another that goes right there with Francisco Cabrera back in the day for the Braves, you know, and I like, you know, that wasn't in a world series, but still the memorable game seven against the pirates, like those, those unlikely, those, those answers to trivia questions when people don't know who you are. And, and then all of a sudden you're like, Oh yeah, yeah Phillips. So known for that play. Right. You know, and what a shame, you know, at the plate too, for, for Will Smith, he like, I don't know if he panicked or he just like immediately that, that swipe, to try and like thinking that the that the runner was already there when he was still several feet away, you know, botches that play and the run scores. I mean, it, it would be over right now. They'd be celebrating. We'd have Randy Newman playing on speakers uh, down uh, one of one of the streets in L.A. today if if it weren't for that right now, you know, from well, the looks of it. Well, let's break that that uh, half inning down. Uh, Kirkmeyer, he had a Kiermaier. What is how do you say it? Kiermaier. Kiermaier. Okay. Yeah. Kiermaier with a base hit the bat shattered so badly that he was still holding on to his portion of it. <laughs> he got that's the first funny. base, right? Yeah. That's funny when they're always running down first line, first base line with the handle. Yeah. And, and Kiki Hernandez, I believe it is that the Marlins. <laughs> yes. The one, the Mar well, for like five minutes and then the Marlins traded him away. Right. And he made yeah. a diving catch, almost made that grab. Then uh, Randy Arroz Arena, Fell behind one, one, two in the counts. Somehow worked a, a walk against Jansen. Mm -hmm. Right then they come to then they come to Phillips. Uh, pinch hit is first as I mentioned. First at, at bat, I think they said in nine days. And on a one-two pitch, he lines that single to right center. Uh, Chris Taylor bobbled the ball out there. Yeah, which that's the big play that puts it all really in the motion because bloop single. If he traps it, we're not talking about any play at the plate. But it, all of a sudden, it caroms off his leg and then. You know, craziness ensues. Right, and a Rosarena fell. He was he was hauling. He was hauling booty yeah, he was. around her base, and he slips and falls. He was, of course, Will Smith. Uh, not the Will Smith to welcome to Miami, but uh, the Dodgers. Will Smith. He uh, he didn't know you know how close or how far the guy was, and like yeah. you mentioned, the 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 swipe tag. Uh, that was just a phenomenal play. There was um, on, on Twitter. I saw there was something where somebody had put together about eight different calls on the radio on that play, including in Spanish. Yeah, I can imagine. Russian. 
in, in yeah. Russia. I don't know if that's uh, you were there for that one. I know you're a big fan of the Ukraine and Russia whole uh, area, but uh, um, for non-baseball um, reasons, but okay. Right. But, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but that was, that was crazy because um, it, it was, imagine as a play by play guy, that was a really, would be a really difficult play to call. Like I would yeah, just with, think, oh, with all the crazy, you know, I mean, you're going back and forth with the, you know, the, the bloop, the botch the, off the leg, then the play at the plate and the swipe tag to the phantom swipe tag, then the ball gets away. Yeah. I mean, this isn't as easy as a home run call that sometimes, you know, even then, you know, credit to some of these announcers to come up with something memorable. It ends up becoming like a catchphrase when there's a home run. But imagine on this play how wacky that was. I mean, I'm sure I would have thrown in the, the uh, Korean and Japanese versions, too, in there, you know, if they're watching as well. You yeah. know, and, and, and just, you know, amazing. And, and Arosa Arena, going to him, you know, if you had a World Series MVP, I don't know, unless he does something big again now in 6-7, and seven, if there is a 6-7, and seven, let's say, um, but in, in terms of the overall postseason, what a postseason this guy's put together. Speaking yeah. of another guy that has burst onto the scene out of nowhere this in, in, in the playoffs, I mean, this kid, pretty amazing. A great trade. They gave up a really good pitching prospect to get him, yeah. a former first-round pick, uh, but it's, it's become a great trade. And uh, before we get to, you know, get to our break and, and then talk college football and the Hurricanes and all that, a couple more things I wanted to bring up with you, Andre, baseball-related, but not World Series. The Marlins – um, first of all, there was a couple of things that happened this week that I saw. One was David Sampson, I guess, predictably, he got fired by Derek Jeter, ripping Derek Jeter uh, for letting Michael Hill go. I wanted to know what you thought about that. And secondly, uh, Miggy Rojas and Brian Anderson up for gold gloves. Um, the Marlins have never had a gold glove winner at shortstop. They've had it at almost every other position. Um, yeah. So give me your thoughts on those two. Well, I mean – Mike, Mike and David go way back. You know, we know this. I mean, I'm Mike's David's guy. And, and um, you know, I think the fact that it, it, to me, it's kind of like going back to how it doesn't really to me. I, I don't know if it changes a lot because in the sense of, you know, they were already doing a lot of the things that now they're putting out there about how collectively the decision making and all that. I think that a lot of that was already going on and it feels almost like a money decision, you know, when it comes down to it to maybe you know, not have to, to renew his contract and maybe pay him more or bring in a, you know, a high profile candidate to replace him, that sort of thing. So, so I could see, I could see why David would, 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 um, would make those kind of comments. And like I said, I mean, him and Mike go way back and Mike's a great guy. I think he's in, you know, uh, some reports out there this week and Craig Mish put out there that he might get the angels job in, in their front office. So good for him if he does. And as far as, you know, Brian Anderson, well-deserved, this kid, we saw, we talked about it all last year. If he ever stuck to one position, he'd have a shot at the gold glove, whether it was in right field or a third base. So good for him to finally kind of be recognized as one of the premier third basemen in the National League. And it's and I'm really happy for Miggy for many reasons, you know, a guest of this show in the past and, you know, well-deserved as well. The shocking part of me was that, like you said, no shortstop had ever gotten it because when you look at the quality kind of shortstops, especially on the defensive side, Alex Gonzalez wasn't a great hitter but a hell of a defender at shortstop when he was here. Edgar Renteria was pretty good as well. Adania Echevarria, another one, not a great hitter, but tremendous glove at shortstop as well. You know, a good history at that position. So it'd be, it'd be cool to see if Miggy were to get recognition. It's going to be tough, though, because I know the finalists that they're up against, like even in Brian's case, you're going up against Arenado, and um, I can't remember who the other third-base finalist was, but even just Arenado himself, he's the, still the best there is to me. Now, what about a shortstop who's Miggy up against? Uh, shortstop, Miggy, 
Uh, that, that's one that I was going to look up too. That I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. Seager right with now. the Dodgers, maybe? Yeah, I uh, I believe so. And and Corey Seager, I mean, talking about him, I mean, we're talking about Arosa Arena, but what a you know what a tremendous postseason he's put together. I mean, he's right there in the record books as well when it comes to you know home runs and and just memorable you know postseasons and and what a and he's also been instrumental in just that power lineup that that the Dodgers have I mean that that's the whole thing with the Dodgers they do damage Miguel Whether, you know the home run ball's been huge and then extra base hits I mean that's why they're here and and defensively as well you know not just in the infield but in that outfield you know we've seen them steal some home runs in these in these playoffs Cody Bellinger that sort of thing so you know tremendous overall group there but I really would hope that the voters will give Brian and Miggy some you know at least some credit when it comes to you know, the voting goes for these gold gloves. Yeah, um, well, uh, Miggy's up against uh, Swanson from uh, the Braves and Javi Baez. And then um, at third base, you have Arnado, uh, sorry, Arnado, Anderson, and Manny Machado. Oh, well, there you go. Manny, that's who, that's how could I forget Manny Machado? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Tremendous group there. I mean, Swanson's really good. But, I mean, when you, when you, when you look at the Javi Baez as well, I mean, he's an artist when it comes to, you know, uh, playing that part. position. What a rocket for an arm on Javi. By the way, I wanted to mention, thanks for that, uh, Frankie, looking that up for us. I wanted to mention um, Brian Brian Anderson. I thought nothing against him at third base, but I liked him in right field. The cannon for an arm that he has stopped the running games, uh, running game for, of opposing teams. And I, I still like him in right field. Seems like they have a plethora of guys in the outfield. Nobody's really come to the forefront, but that might be the reason. They have more outfield candidates than third base candidates. But if you're telling me just – on a blank canvas, where would I like to see that kid play? I like to see him in right because of what he does to to the opposition. Uh, we're, we're coming up against a break. I wanted to just give you, uh, Andre, real quick. Here's a list of gold glovers by position for the Marlins. Catcher, Charles jo- Johnson. First base, it was Derek Lee. Second base, Louis Castillo and uh, Gordon. They had two, D. Gordon. No shortstops. Third base, it was Mike Lowell. If you look at it, individual outfield positions, no right field, no center field, but at left field, Marcelo Suna and Christian Yelich. Yeah. So that's a, it's a pretty, pretty good group. Yeah, yeah pretty good group. Um, I, I want to get to our football guests after this break. I just want to mention one quick other thing, and that is, and, and Andre, you and I talked about it off the air, the, the, the commercials have gotten so good, okay? And the Fanville commercial, that now <laughs> the latest one that they, that they had on about the guy who jinxed the kicker and he said oh come on before the kicker kicks the field goal he says he's automatic and of course the field goal kicker misses the kick and the town just rises up against him and they they send him to basically a court case correct yeah i mean i i used to be that guy when i was a kid like i would wear canes caps during the game and i felt like if i didn't i was jinxing the team and then if they lose i'd, I'd, I'd like kick myself for not wearing it you know stuff like that uh, I like the line where he said they, they tell him, you know, six weeks without Dr. Pepper or whatever it was. And he goes, can I just go to jail? Right. I think that would not be a good choice. I don't think there's uh, Dr. Pepper in jail either. So I'm not sure if it's, it's, it's how rational he was thinking right there. But anyway, speaking of commercials and Frankie Fernandez, here's our commercial. I'll be right back. Hey, look what I found. A radio. Radio. This is Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Hey, this is Ron Rivera. Listen to Slam Radio. And now we're back with Front Page 305 on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right, we're back. Front Page 305. This is Walt 
money. I still hear Rocky like a hurricane in my headphones, and we're, we're here with Andre Nostradamus Fernandez and two special guests now, not just one. We've got Manny Navarro from The Athletic and David Fury Furones, Furones from the Sun Sentinel to talk uh, Hurricanes football. How are you guys doing? Yes, sir. I'm great. Good to be on with you guys. Well, be at- I thought I was supposed to be off the show. What is it? Two weeks in a row now you're, you're bringing me back. I can't quit you, man. You're, you're too valuable to the organ- to the movement, man. I mean, who knows? I mean, to me, to have a Hurricanes midseason report and not have Manny Navarro, that would be an insult if I just had Fury on here. And besides, David is great, gives great coverage from the Sunset. I was going to ask you, David, when did you start uh, watching Hurricanes football? I'm, assu- I'm assuming you've only seen misery in your in your uh, days. You mean covering? Because I'm sure he's seen a lot better human football back in the day, but I don't know. What? Right, right. I, absolutely. And, and first, uh, I want to add that to your last point. Uh, Manny, uh, still there like he never left. Uh, you need someone to have all these uh, terrible predictions uh, on, on your program every week. So uh, it, it's fitting that you, that you keep him on all the time. Oh, gonna, <laughs> uh, right off the bat, Fury got sassy. Taking a shot. And by the way, David, by, by David way, you guys is know, one of our few listeners. Know, I mean, he comes on every week. He's got comments on our show. Yeah. So that's like, I got to have Fury on the show. Got to listen to our show. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I, I know how the show goes. Uh, Andre makes all the uh, reasonable, correct predictions, and then uh, and then Matty just goes off the wall <laughs> saying whatever. Um, but let's see, uh, to, uh, to your question, yeah, I mean, of course I remember uh, growing up watching, I won't reveal my age, but I mean, you know, watching the 2001 National Championship team, and, you know, that was uh, obviously amazing to watch what I feel and what I think most people should feel is the greatest collection of college football talent uh, ever assembled. So uh, that was really, uh, you know, my childhood memory of the Hurricanes. A little bit from before, but that one, that really uh, stood out to me. And then, you know, the years after, and then eventually the the decline, uh, you know, going through the end of the Larry Coker era. uh, And I attended UM uh, during the Randy Shannon era, going into Al Golden uh, era. And then, um, you know, some ups and downs. I got it. What happened from there? All right. Well, let's yeah, get right to I, it. I, you know, it makes me feel really old, especially since I turned 41 yesterday, that uh, Peronis <laughs> is calling 01 a childhood memory. Happy birthday. Happy yeah. birthday. Well, I remember the Hurricanes and Leather Helmets, but we won't go there. Let's get right to the <laughs> uh, the meat of this conversation. Navarro, we're going to have you you have your boys grade the Hurricanes midseason report, and you have been very critical of the head coach uh, in past times, and obviously he deserved it, you could say, last year. What is your grade we'll go Manny first and then David and then Andre and myself quick grade what do you grade them for coaching coaching staff uh I'll give them a b plus why uh well because I feel like he made all the offseason adjustments that he needed to make he, he changed the offensive coordinator he brought in a quarterback he got a kicker and uh he got a right tackle I mean he did all the things he needed to do uh, the problem is, I think uh, the team right now is kind of flatlining a little bit, and some of the uh, offense that Rhett Lashley is calling is very predictable. He, he doesn't have a very thick playbook, so I, mm. I got to see what the counterpunch is now. So I give him a B plus. Plus, they got run off the field by uh, Clemson. They're very unprepared coming off of a bye week. Mm. Fury. I think B plus is fair. Um, I, I don't want to uh, agree with Manny all the time, but uh, that, that's a good one. I'll try to find some disagreements later in this segment. But um, yeah, I mean the tremendous offseason that they had, addressing a lot of the issues that are on the roster, and then 
Yeah, that was one of the things I said with uh, Rhett Rhett Lashley's offense. I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's brought a spark to the team, but um, it did seem a little bit too simplistic. It's one of the things that it's lauded for, you know, simplifying the offense for the players. But um, against Virginia, it did feel at times like it was. I I mentioned that in um, in a follow-up story the next day. Um, So, yeah, and and, I mean, at the end of the day, though, uh, one of these games, Pittsburgh-Virginia, I feel like in the past they would have definitely lost one of these games. They would have just come out flat, uh, and then at the end of the day, while there were some shortcomings in these matchups, they didn't. So uh, I think B plus is fair. Andre, I'm just going to give him a B, and I think it's the I think it's the recruiting side, like they mentioned. You know, picking up a uh, Rhett Lashley, the Eric King, uh, even a kicker like Jose Borregales, but the offense, which was so impressive at the beginning of the year, has now stalled for the most part. I mean, watching that Virginia game was painful at times. And it tells me worried that they're going to drop this game against Virginia Tech coming up and potentially North Carolina unless some things get fixed. And, you know, even the coaching side as far as the wide receivers, I mean, yeah, that first drive was amazing. But after that, like that, that that's an area that, that continue, needs to get better. And as Manny has mentioned and written, the linebackers as well. Well, some great points. The, the offseason um, acquisitions, if you want to call it that, that was big. The recruiting uh, that's big. I also want to mention that you guys didn't mention was the fact that they have schemed their way to touchdowns several times this year. That was not talent. They got behind defense by schemes and things. So they, they need uh, to get credit for that. And then the other interesting thing they did was uh, last week, we've been talking about wide receivers, you know, that they really don't go up and get footballs uh, really disappointing. And they put everybody basically said, Hey, nobody's a starter. All nine of you guys are on the same level. And that clearly motivated Harley. So I don't, I'm not sure whether they get credit for the motivation there, or maybe a demerit that they didn't do that earlier. And Harley admitted that the guys weren't going as hard as they should after practice. So I'm going to still give them an a minus. I like a lot of what they did. I'm always a, uh, a protector and a fan of, of Manny Diaz. So that's where I'm going there. Uh, Navarro, back to you, seniority on uh, coverage of, uh, of UMB. Offense as a whole, what grade and why? Uh, I'd give them a B. Um, I think the running game has really slowed down the last couple of weeks. Cam Harris, I think, has 35 yards on his last 28 carries. Uh, just has been ineffective. And, again, they face better defenses, but 19 points isn't going to cut it. Uh, they scored 27 against Pittsburgh. Uh, Rhett Lashley was brought in to average more than 30, and he did that early on against weaker competition. But they, I got to see more of a counterbalance, uh, counterpunch with the running game. I think it's too simplistic. I like some of the Wildcat stuff he did near around the end zone. Uh, I think he needs to do more of that. Jerry? Okay, uh, I'll bring it down. Not to, I'll say B minus. Um, I think with uh, what you have, and, and I did like uh, Walter. Your point that uh, that that Red Lashley has schemed up some of those touchdowns. That that is true. Uh, definitely, we saw it in the Pittsburgh game. A couple of wide open touchdowns. Louisville, you you saw them uh, just ha- have guys completely unaccounted for, and be able to score and uh, make explosive plays. Um, but uh, the lack of a running game uh, the past few weeks. Um, well, I, I don't want to say everyone because Jalen Knighton and Donald Shane Jr. have, have sort of. Um, coming to their own, but uh, Cam Harris to see him averaging a little bit over a yard a carry the last three games, um, you know, the, just be a complete non-factor in mostly every offensive uh, phase uh, against Clemson. That was a little bit discouraging after the start that they had. So, uh, yeah, I'll say B minus. Andre, I'm, I'm going to stick to B because I mean I. I 
I, I like what I saw to Harley and I like the, the, like I said, the coaching tactic of motivating them and all of that. But I, you know, this offense, I was, we're, we were so excited about it a few weeks ago. I need to see more. They, they do get their explosive plays on occasion. Like we saw it on the first drive against Virginia, but then, you know, the running game has stalled completely. I mean, I want to see more Jalen Knighton. I want, I want to see the, the, the way that they were able to use him for, to get him involved in those explosive plays early on. And I think if, if they can show that over the next couple of games, you know, especially that little tough two game road patch, then maybe I would up the grade a little bit, but for right now, that's kind of my where I conservatively I'm going to put it. By the way, I would say Fury won that round, appraising the host for having a good point. That's always going to get him extra points. So that's clearly a victory for David Fury there. And uh, I'm going to give the uh, <laughs> I'm going to give the Canes a C on the offense. Um, you know, really pretty good in a couple of games, Florida State, Louisville, but overall been a little disappointing. I would say also that King. One thing I've noticed is he rolls out right every time, and that's that's a coaching thing. Going to have to get him to you know, even that out on the tendencies, roll left. He also, I think he drops back too shallow, and that's that's uh, resulting in some of those deflections. But let's move on now. Uh, Manny Navarro, you'll do well to praise me on some of my points if you want to win this round. Uh, defense, what grade and why? Great observation, by the way, Walter. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just wanted, wanted to, to get more the points. Statue, the, the statue of Walter Villa will be going up uh, later this week here outside my house. Uh, <laughs> Yes, you asked me about uh, the defense. Um, I, I give it the same grade as the offense, B. I mean, they're getting the job done. I, I would even venture to say they're playing better than the offense right now, uh, only giving up 14 points to Virginia and one of them on a, on a bad breakdown in the secondary. Uh, if you go back and you compare last year's numbers to this year's numbers, Miami's better on third down, but it, it, the run defense is giving up more than 40 yards uh, per game than they were a year ago. And I think that goes to the linebacker play, which obviously has dropped off since Shaq Quarterman and Michael Pinckney left. And But, you know, the bigger concerning thing for me at times is uh, pass defense. You know, at times they give up a whole lot of, of passing underneath in, in zone coverage, and teams are able to move the, the chains on them. Uh, what's saving them right now is that they, they, they kind of tighten up on third down and they tighten up uh, in the red zone. That's the two areas they're succeeding. But, they face two really good running teams down the stretch, Virginia Tech and North Carolina. They're both in the top 12 in rushing yardage uh, and yards per carry, and, and that's going to be a huge test. I think those are the two games Miami loses this year. By the way, before we get to Fury, this is the most serious I've ever heard Navarro in, like, in my entire life. I haven't gotten one. I'm, I'm waiting. There's going to be a really good joke coming up some, somewhere soon. But uh, <laughs> What about the statue? Well, yeah, yeah, but that's, that's, that's old material, Perry. But Fury, defensive grade, and why? I'll go a little bit higher. Uh, I'll say B plus. I'm, I'm teetering toward, maybe, you know, they're like at a, at an 89. They're like trying to beg for extra credit at the end of the semester uh, <laughs> to get that A. But um, I feel like it's a B plus. Uh, you know, a lot of people make a big deal about uh, when there's, uh, you know, one breakdown in coverage. Hey, it's college football. It, it does happen from time to time. I think UN does do a good job of at least limiting some. I know everyone threw a fit when uh, UAB scored on the first play of the season on, on DJ Ivy and then, Obviously, it was discouraging that after getting a two-touchdown lead or 12 points, uh, they, they gave up one to Virginia at the end to get them back in the game. Um, we also didn't see enough of the big plays uh, at the end of that game. Tackles for loss, sacks were down. Uh, so they didn't really make game-changing plays like UN has been known to do uh, since the inception of the turnover change the past four years. But um, overall, I mean, it's been real solid. Um, they held their own that, that win against Pitt. 
you know, Virginia, uh, the defense can be um, applauded for, for much of what they did through uh, the whole, I mean, from the first drive to that touchdown that they gave up late, uh, everything they did there was solid. Um, Clemson obviously had to weigh a little bit uh, with them, uh, but everywhere else, I, I feel like you almost been really, really solid defensively. I mean, I like, uh, Andre, I like the, the reference to extra credit because this is a kid that uh, went to school more recently than us. I, of course, went to school in a log cabin back in the early 1800s. But, uh, Andre, as we're running out of time, uh, defense, you're great and why? Real quick, I'm going to say B-plus on the defense because, you know, the red zone defense especially helped against Pitt. And, and the reason that they're undefeated against non-Clemson, against opponents not named Clemson right now is because of that defense you know bend but don't break a little bit again especially saving them against virginia and about Ferronas, this is the guy who of all the people in michelle's class that were like oh look how cool the newsroom is and all that no no no. he was the old smart one that went back to my desk dropped the resume there and said if you need me i'm here and look nice. and that and, and it kick-started a career so nice there you go uh, throw back, throw i'm gonna say right defense, defense has been a little bit disappointed i guess it'd be minus one thing i've noticed uh, Manny is that they started slowly every game. They usually adjust, but they haven't they haven't done a three and out every if, if there's not a leading to a score, it's at least putting Miami in bad field position. They need to start quicker. So last one, this is gonna be the easy one. Special teams. I mean, everybody's gotta say an A or B plus here. I mean, come on, Headley. Uh, we got Borregales, Bubba Bolden blocking kicks. Let's go quick on this one so we have a couple minutes at the, the end. Manny, go ahead. Uh, I, I'm going to say A minus uh, because of the fumbles, the two Mark Pope fumbles on punts. Uh, right. that's, you know, you an A is perfection, and they haven't been perfect, so I give them an A minus. Yeah. That's fair. I, I was going to bring I was going to bring that up too, but I would say no, it's still an A. An A plus is perfection, but it's right. still an A. Now, granted, yeah, Jose Borgas did have a, a kick blocked. Uh, you know, he didn't miss, but I guess now we're not perfect on on field goals there uh, with that unit. Uh, punting game has been great with Lou Headley, of course, flipping the field on, on opponents and the block field goals that, that you mentioned. Uh, even those uh, muff punts, uh, the one fumble on a punt return by Mark Pope, uh, you know, they went to Xavier Restrepo. And while it's still been a little bit uh, of adventure at times in the Clemson game, uh, then uh, he seemed solid uh, after that. So, uh, yeah, I'll still say A. I saw okay. last. I saw this last Saturday that Houston has Bubba Baxa strictly on kickoffs. No, uh, no field goal kicking at all, which is smart. And and just for that, their grade, the Miami's grade goes up, and and I'm gonna say A because yeah, A plus is the perfection. So take a notch down for those hiccups they've had with some blocks and whatnot, and and the the muff kicks. But beyond that, one of the one of the areas that has most dramatically improved this year. So I'm gonna say A. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna say an A for me, and I'm really just auditioning because I want to be on a wide right podcast. Manny Navarro's fantastic podcast, so I just want to <laughs> talk hurricane football all the time. Our great producer, Frankie Fernandez, is giving me the illegal procedure sign. I believe we're down the last couple of minutes here. A, I, think, I thought he was going to do a TikTok dance for a second. I'm not sure, but I'm going to leave it. With, with, there you with, go. <laughs> with one last question, boys, really brief. Uh, what happens if Miami and Notre Dame both run the non-Clemson portion of the schedule? Who gets, who gets to the title game to play uh, Clemson? Notre Dame. Why? <laughs> Because everybody both... loves Notre Dame. I mean, the, the pollsters, uh, the, the anti-Miami bias. Oh, my God. I'm going to vomit right here in the end of the show. David, is that, is that what's going to happen? I think so. Well, I mean, yeah, and they're ranked higher in, in the polls right now. Uh, so, at, at, at 
four. Well, that's because four, they haven't taken their whipping yet from Clemson. Once right, they take their whipping, right, they're going to they fall. You know what? And it'll also be later in the season uh, if and when mm-hmm. that happens. So that could influence some votes as well. If mine is on a roll later on, it's, right. it's a conflict. And, well, if, and, it, and, if it's late in the year and Notre Dame's going to, in theory, would lose to Clemson before Miami beats North Carolina, assuming this is what right. happens, I think that could work in Miami's favor as well. Right. And, and Notre Dame, come on, beating Louisville with that terrible defense, 12 to 7, unimpressed. Right. Uh, I think uh, we're out of time. Uh, Manny, have me on that Wide Right show. I love that show. It's the best show. One of the best shows. I can't say the best show because this is an incredible show, but that's a great show. Wide Right Podcast. Check it out. David Peronis, thank you. Andre, thank you. Frankie, thank you. And I think we're out. The views and opinions expressed on Front Page 305 are entirely those of the hosts, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Slam Radio.